Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. Okay, Yahoo Sports Hockey Podcast, Justin Cuthbert hanging out after the first day of free agency. So this will be the winners. This will be the losers. There will be some reflections from the first 24 hours of the free agent period before we all slowly descend into the summer months and things get really, really quiet on Twitter. Um, Fascinating first 24 hours. We saw moves that we probably had expected. We saw moves that rocked the hockey world and we have still some free agents like Nazem Kadri and John Klingberg that haven't moved on to their respective new clubs just yet they're waiting and probably in a pretty good position now that most of the dust has settled um but if we're going to do winners and losers and if we're going to start with winners we have to start with the Columbus Blue Jackets who did the shocking that I mentioned of the hockey world. And I think they shocked probably even themselves by landing the number one free agent on the board. And one of the most talented players to leave in free agency in recent history in Johnny Gaudreau. Now this was a strange one because when assessing like the bullet points that would probably be on Gaudreau's off season agenda, we had one move closer to home. I guess he did that, but he's still miles and miles away from his hometown of Salem, New Jersey. I think winning, probably pretty important. I think money, probably very important. And of course, he made a lot of money. Uh, maybe there's an opportunity to win. Um, he is closer to home. But did he satisfy either of these three to the most significant degree possible? The answer to that is no. Uh, I don't think he fully checked off any of the main bullet points on his offseason agenda. And that makes it... That's part of the reason why it's so surprising um, that he landed where he did. Um, I think the number one thing going through those bullet points is that he apparently took the third most lucrative offer on the table. Um, Columbus's deal apparently was not that of New Jersey's, was not even close to the eight years that was tabled by the Calgary Flames, and yet he still ended up there and still ended up miles away from his hometown. Even so, Gaudreau's move, finalized in the evening, uh, almost trivializes everything else that was accomplished during the day. I mean, this is a superstar player who changes the equation for the team he arrives to in Columbus, the team he leaves in the Calgary Flames, and the teams that were supposed to be involved and didn't end up getting his signature. I mean, Calgary is in dire straits right now. And what does it say about the devils that Gaudreau didn't go there for more money 
in a more favorable situation, at least from an immediate um, competition perspective. And what does it say about Lou Lamorello and the New York Islanders who haven't been able to do anything in free agency? What does it say about the Philadelphia Flyers? Uh, A lot, actually, it says about the Philadelphia Flyers, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, But in the end, Gaudreau chose Columbus. And it's ironic because Columbus was in the position Calgary is in now just a few seasons ago when Artemi Panarin, Sergei Bobrovsky, and others left. Uh, so now Calgary's facing that similar that similar fate and that decision of, okay, do we tear it down or we try to trudge through this and be competitive? Uh, and somehow, despite Calgary or Columbus rather taking the long approach, tearing down, trying to add as many possible prospects to the system, they now have a guy I gave my third place Hurt Trophy vote to as the lead dog for the next seven seasons at a decent price, honestly, under $10 million. The fact that Goudreau chose them is shocking. His rationale is still surprising. Uh, it doesn't make much sense. He kind of spoke briefly to Aaron Port's line saying, you know, he thought Columbus was a fun market. Like that, that's, that's not the reason why this all came together. So questions will continue to be asked. But my theory is that he really wanted to go to Philly. Philly was it for him. He didn't want to go to perceived rivals of Philly in Jersey and New York, the New York Islanders. And he chose, I guess, what he thought was the next best thing in the Columbus Blue Jackets jackets after receiving some positive reviews from trusted sources, I suppose. I think this is Philly's mess in the end. Philly's inability to create enough cap room to even be involved in these discussions, I think is the reason Goudreau left Calgary and ended up in Columbus. Uh, Goudreau is clearly a winner. $68 million guaranteed is wonderful money in the NHL. Um, but uh, I think the biggest winner on the first day of free agency in the first 24 hours of the free agent window has to be the Columbus Blue Jackets. For me, it was the Carolina Hurricanes until the Goudreau signing because they did some really quality work in within the first few hours of free agency, landing two players who fill holes for virtually no cost. The first move was Brent Burns, uh, a recent Norris Trophy winning defenseman, a guy who's had a tremendous career, a guy who can still play logged um, in like the top five, I think, in total minutes last season, put up a decent amount of points. I think he 10 goals and still broke the 55 point mark. He takes the place of Tony D'Angelo, who's going to the Philadelphia Flyers, um, as the offensive focused right shot defenseman for Carolina, of which they needed. He comes over at 66% of the cost, so a little over five and a half million, I believe, because the San Jose Sharks were willing to uh, retain. And really, they just wanted out from underneath this deal, which still has three years remaining, um, because they didn't take much back in return. I think it was just Steven Lorenz and a goaltending prospect and a mid-round pick, along with retaining that salary. So the Sharks... They've given up on their competitive window, of course, and they should have. Uh, They're changing things under Mike Greer and getting out from underneath the Brent Burns contract makes a lot of sense, but it also makes a lot of sense for Carolina to get in on what could be a difference maker on their back end and a guy who could potentially do a better job than Tony D'Angelo did. And D'Angelo was a huge piece to the puzzle last season for the Carolina Hurricanes. But on top of that, just before all of the television networks left the airwaves, the Vegas Golden Knights 
woke up from their hibernation and sent Max Pacioretty, a guy who's scored, you know, 30 goals routinely in his sleep for a very long time, has been one of the top players in terms of goals per minute in the NHL for forever. He was sent to the Hurricanes for literally no cost, future considerations. Um, Vegas has had a very difficult time scoring goals. Max Petrity was supposed to be the solution there and did provide some of the solution, but couldn't do it all himself, ran into some injury troubles. But this is a potential boon here for Carolina, who demonstrate the benefit of having cap space at your disposal because when a team like Vegas who's in cap hell decides it needs to give up on a player like Matt Pacioretty, you can just extend your hands and accept him for free. Um, Pacioretty is something that the Hurricanes haven't had, which is a natural goal scorer. He can make a huge difference for this team because the one thing that they continue to run into in the postseason is a lack of goal scoring. So with Burns and Pacioretty, they become far more dangerous from an offensive perspective this season and when they get to the playoffs next year. It was a wonderful day for the Carolina Hurricanes. Detroit Red Wings, uh, they also have to be considered winners. Uh, Steve Eiserman, you know, he's earned the fact or the right to take on a slow and methodical rebuild. But we've now reached the point where I think we have to see some on-ice progress. And I think that was probably shown within his moves. Uh, he was very aggressive in the early stages of free agency, adding three legitimate top nine forwards in Andrew Kopp, David Perron, and Dominic Kubalik. Uh, I think Kopp comes over at a bit over five and a half million, five point six two five million on a five-year deal. I think that's a bit rich. But with Perron and Kubalik, they come over for a combined 7.25 million. And I think they might have 50 goals between those two players. Kubalik's hit 30 in his career. Perron always hits 30, uh, always puts up decent numbers um, and has done so in St. Louis for such a long time. So I think if you sprinkle those three players across what is a young lineup with some talent, Dylan Larkin, Lucas Raymond, and Tyler Bertuzzi, I think you have the makings of something that can work and be very, very competitive. So I think Detroit did a very nice job insulating their roster. The Red Wings tried to do that on the back end as well and by adding Ben Sherratt on a deal that's worth uh, $5 million per season, I think on a four-year deal. Um, and it makes sense. Like Sherratt, it might not be the prettiest deal. The numbers might not be terrific. But Ben Sherratt, I think, is going to help uh, Moritz Sider be even more impactful than he was in his rookie season by just shouldering the load just a little bit. I mean, Sider grew into such a huge role and became the number one option in just about every situation for the Red Wings. And with Ben Sherrod being able to, you know, kill some penalties, take some tough minutes against top competition. Uh, I think you can open up the Calder trophy winner uh, and relieve some of those taxing and difficult minutes so that he can be even more of a force than he was before. Another winner is Claude Giroux. Uh, Pierre Dorian certainly fancies himself a winner based on his self-satisfaction at the Ottawa Senators introductory press conference for Giroux. Um, but I think the player did slightly better than the team, um, despite what has been such a rousing success of an offseason so far for Dorian and the Senators. But that Giroux was able to bank $6.5 million for the next three seasons, another $20 million tacked onto his career earnings or close to. 
um, I think is a windfall for him because I'm not sure what to make of the last few years of his career. He could be drinking from the fountain of youth again with Alex Dabrinkat, Brady Kachuk, Tim Stutzla, Drake Batherson. It, he could he could easily meet the value tied to the deal, or he easily could not. And the fact that he was able to bag 20 million, uh, start his next life a little earlier by moving his family back to or his hometown or close to his hometown. I think that's definitely a win um, for Claude Giroux. And hopefully it works out because I think it would be very fun to see Giroux um, lift those young players in Ottawa and that top six that could do some serious damage next season. It has been a brilliant offseason so far for Ottawa. Uh, the fact that they were able to get to Brinkett, they were able to get out from underneath the Matt Murray contract and now getting Giroux, lots to be excited about, but lots to be excited about as well over the last 24 hours for Claude Giroux. Another winner is the Edmonton Oilers. Um, I understand reservations uh, around Jack Campbell. Uh, it's not often that like the top of the class or the co-leader of the class in terms of at least goaltenders hasn't really proven himself to be a surefire starter. But for the first time in forever, and it has been forever, the Oilers searching for decent goaltending, they were able to attract the, one of the top names at the position, and that should be worth an upgrade for sure. Um, but it's also what the Oilers did with their own assets that I think was very impressive on the opening few hours of free agency. The fact that the Oilers didn't have to really break the bank to pay free free market prices on either Evander Kane or Brett Kulak, I think that helps the Oilers stay at the competitive level that they reached last season, but opens up some flexibility for them to continue to add and to augment uh, the roster, um, which, of course, did very, very well last season, showed that it was incomplete, but went very far, far in the Stanley Cup playoffs and showed that it had real potential. So with Kane just over five million, four years, they didn't um, they didn't really bend on term or um, dollar, which I think is a definite win, given that we don't know what the future will look like for Kane, uh, other than the fact that he fit in really well with Connor McDavid. Uh, I think that can be considered a win. And now we'll see what happens for the rest of the offseason for the Oilers. But uh, what they did in the first 24 hours of free agency was certainly impressive. Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, not They're not necessarily winners, but their extended core group, definitely winners on the first day of free agency. Uh, Julian Brisebois got a little loose with it, uh, signing a trio of maximum term contracts on the first day of free agency, committing nearly $175 million in future salary to Mikhail Sergachev, Anthony Sorelli, and Eric Chernak. Um, you know, usually this team is signing deals that make us scratch our heads in frustrated way if you're not a fan of the Tampa Bay Lightning like how did they do that again how did they pull that off and I think Thomas Trance of the Athletics shed some important light on their process which is that hey you got to take a little bit of a bath on your bridge deal but when you get to the point where you've earned eight years from us we're going to make sure that you're taken care of and I guess that's what they've done here with Sergachev, Sorelli and Chernak these are full value contracts I think the fact that Sergachev is going to make 8.5 million dollars and be around for the next nine seasons is a hefty, hefty investment. Uh, it's going to curb future flexibility. They may be slight overpays, each of them individually, um, but they were awarded to players that are immensely important to 
the success and structure of this team. And after an off season, which saw Andre Palat leave um, and Ryan McDonough traded, um, it's not as though it's been compromised, but they still have, it's been compromised slightly, but they still have the framework of a championship team and they can still continue to build around what is not just three or four players of a, of a core, but a core group of really seven, eight, nine players now with Chirelli, Sorelli, Cernak, and Sergachev extended. The team that they lost to in the Stanley Cup final, I think, also had a pretty good day. Uh, Joe Sackick and newly minted general manager Chris McFarland of the Colorado Avalanche did impressive work keeping their own championship framework intact. Uh, they identified what was expendable early. They moved on from Darcy Kemper and replaced him. But I think their best work came on the opening day of free agency when they retained two players they acquired, unlike the Florida Panthers, um, in season last year and signed them to extensions that are really, really manageable. Josh Manson and Arturi Lekkanen, each at $4.5 million on four- and five-year extensions, respectively. I think that is solid work for the Avalanche, who have already retained Darren Helm, Valeri Nikushkin, Andrew Cogliano. I think they've done a really, really good job keeping things in order. And I expect that a Nathan McKinnon contract extension is coming down the pike soon. Eric Branson is my last winner. The fact that Columbus threw $16 million of total earnings at Branson across a four-year term was going to have them wind up on the loser list, but then they went out and signed Johnny Gaudreau. But the fact that he's going to make almost half as much as Gaudreau says a little bit of says a little bit about the fact that they overpaid uh, a very limited bottom pairing defenseman in Eric Branson. He did find stability last season in Calgary, but uh, this is a windfall for the player. Not often do you see the per year, or that's not total, when you see a contract come out, uh, and it, it would have been. Uh, it almost would have been understandable if Eric Branson signed four years, four million rather than four million per. Okay, let's do losers. Um, we don't have to belabor the point. I think we know which teams are uh, licking their wounds today. And Calgary, of course, is the first. Um, as I mentioned, Gaudreau's decision to leave the Flames carries with it more consequence, maybe for Calgary than it does Columbus. Um, with him, the Flames were a Stanley Cup contender. Without him, it might all crash beneath them. Um, like I said, they're in a situation now like Columbus was in, and they haven't carved out the firm direction after losing uh, losing a player that they devoted all their resources to signing. They they everything all their energy in the last few weeks has been in trying has been devoted to trying to keep Johnny Gaudreau. And when that is suddenly not possible, it feels as though you just don't have, you're lost, you're lost at sea. Um, And that was illustrated, I think, in the fact that they didn't make a single move that moved the needle or that would move the needle on the opening day of free agency. They just kind of sat there licking their wounds. And that's again, understandable, but compounding the issue, a tricky negotiation with Matthew Kachuk looms, I wonder how he feels about things. I think I have a pretty good idea. I wonder how guys like Jacob Markstrom and Blake Coleman think of the situation after they just signed long-term deals in free agency to come play with Gaudreau. Like this could all really become an untenable situation quickly here for Calgary. And I wonder if Matthew Kachuk is the first domino 
sent down following Gaudreau in what could be a full-out rebuild, which sucks because Calgary showed so much promise last season as a fully formed entity, really, I think, for the first time in a long time. Florida Panthers, uh, pretty bad day as well. Um, They saw their two assets that they picked up for first-round picks last year just walk away for free, Claude Giroux and Ben Chirot. Uh, they saw their breakout star, one of the big stories for them last season, Mason, Mason Marchman, leave on a four-year deal with the Dallas Stars. Um, they've lost just as much as anyone um, when comparing their future roster to what they had last season. And unfortunately, this serves as like a cautionary tale. Um, the, the Panthers' aggressive nature over the last few seasons, it appears as though it's caught up to them. And now they stand to bring back a diminished roster because they tried to build it up too quickly, at least it seems. Um, they did attempt to, you know, gain some goodwill by signing Mark Stahl to a one-year deal and inviting his brother, Eric, who might go to the Hall of Fame one day, just represented Canada at the Olympics this past year, uh, to a tryout agreement. That may or may not work. That may or may not have a Joe Thornton-like effect if there even was one last year uh, when the 43-year-old, I think, uh, joined them after a stint with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, But I do know that those two players won't replace what was lost um, in one of of the worst opening periods to free agency league-wide. Florida certainly became a far worse team. And after winning... The President's Trophy, 122 points, winning the Atlantic Division, probably the best division in hockey. Uh, They stand to take a significant step back. And the biggest loser, I think, is Philadelphia Flyers. And that's not just because what they've done over the last 24 hours or what they couldn't do over the last 24 hours. It's because it's really become sad what's become of the franchise. The fact that Johnny Gaudreau um, probably pegged, like if we we were going to pick a lead candidate for Gaudreau, and this is speculative, but even before what happened over the last couple of days, if he was going to leave Calgary one day, we all had Philly top of mind, tip of the tongue, Philadelphia Flyers, the team he grew up cheering for. He's a New Jersey native, but I think he's closer to the Flyers than he is the Devils, at least in terms of proximity. But that doesn't matter. He was a Philly guy and we expected, hey, he might go play with Kevin Hayes. That would be a lovely story. But not this team just couldn't get involved and they admitted that they weren't involved in the Johnny Goodrow sweepstakes, not because they weren't interested. How could Philly not be interested in Johnny Goodrow? Um, they were, they just weren't able to clear enough cap room, cap room to even get involved. They weren't able to get out from underneath the James Van Riemsdyk contract. But what hurts them the most is that the money that they were able to alleviate from their system came with the buyout of one of the few inspirational stories that we've seen from them and an inspirational story on its own in cancer survivor, Oscar Lindblom, the buyout of that contract. And yet they use that money, the freed up cash from a controversial move to bring in the far from its inspiring Tony D'Angelo, who's one of the league's most significant problem children. And then to lose out on Johnny Gaudreau or to not even be able to get involved. I mean, that's just a series of terrible decisions and poor optics over and over and over again. And this has just turned out to be the norm now for the Philadelphia Flyers. This is a brutal offseason for them. The last few offseasons have been brutal for them. It's just not working with the current mindset, the current management team, and the current way of doing things 
And as I mentioned before, it is a bit sad. I will leave you just on some thoughts with the Toronto Maple Leafs um, who tried to upgrade their roster, um, but saw a net loss with Ilya Mikheyev going to the Vancouver Canucks. They brought in Nick Obey-Kubel, Adam Gaudet. They're trying to work the margins again. Maybe they have great success doing that. Maybe they don't. It's hard to believe that they'll have such or similar success as they had with David Camp from last season. Uh, It just feels a little bit far-fetched. But most of the focus is on the goaltending. And I actually don't mind how they've went about it. I do take issue with their strategy overall, but their execution of said strategy I don't think is awful because they've chosen to be gamblers. They're gambling at the position because they seem reluctant or gun shy to invest in the position for, I think, a variety of reasons. Maybe they're not sold on players like Jack Campbell, other options, or maybe they're just trying to keep the books clean for the future. And we'll get to that in a second. But because they're gambling, at least they have two potential goaltenders with maybe high ceilings. I mean, Matt Murray has played at a high level before in his career. Ilya Samsonov was thought of enough to have the Washington Capitals invest a first round pick in him just several seasons ago. So I think they have some talent there. That talent needs to be molded and refined. And they just invested a ton into a new look goaltending department. So maybe this all works out. That's the big bet that Curtis Sanford and John Elkin can get the best out of two goaltenders who were once high, high quality prospects, assets, performers at different levels of the operation. So I think it's a decent bet trying out Murray and Samsonov. I do think it hurts that they weren't able to get Murray at 50% retained. And I've read this morning that, you know, we can't really quibble with that because there was another offer on the table that they, that the senators just would have chosen if um, Toronto wouldn't make the deal at 25%. Now that's strange to me. And it seems like a bluff to me because yeah, maybe Ottawa had a deal potentially, But why wouldn't they lean on that deal or choose that deal if it was worth anything? I mean, they paid a lot. They gave up serious assets to get rid of Matt Murray. They are paying an extra $1.7 million or whatever it is. They gave up a third round pick. It wasn't like they fleeced the Toronto Maple Leafs in any way here. So what was that other deal? Did they have to pay even more at 25% to another team? I guess it's possible that another team was demanding a second round pick with Murray. But here's the thing. Murray called his shot. Murray wanted to be with the Maple Leafs. Murray didn't, Murray already turned down a deal from the Buffalo Sabres. The other, the other deal wasn't going to work out because of Matt Murray. So I think Tyle Dubas lost the negotiation for that reason alone that, you know, yeah, you got your guy, you got a second or you got a third round pick with it, which is great. But 50% was still an option. I think, I don't think Matt Murray was going anywhere else. They could have just stuck it to Ottawa, not letting them, not let them go out and get Cam Talbot, not let them go out and get Claude Giroux because you didn't let them out of jail with Matt Murray. Um, I don't believe that there was another viable option on the table because if there was, I think the Senators would have went that direction. The other big issue here for the Leafs is the fact that they were 
in the position to go after Murray in the first place. And why is that? I think it's because they are reluctant, as I mentioned, to add money for the long term. That's really the only excuse to not um, retain the services, I think, of Jack Campbell. Like, if you did make the determination that you didn't think Jack Campbell was good enough and that you think Matt Murray is that much better, fine. But Kyle Dubas admitted that term was the biggest obstacle in retaining Jack Campbell. Why would term be a problem for this team? They only have four players signed, or sorry, three players signed beyond Austin Matthews, who has two years remaining on his deal. What this screams to me is they are terrified of adding money, adding or committing money beyond the 2023-24 season when Austin Matthews comes out comes up for his contract because they have to do everything in their possibility to resign or in their capabilities to resign him. I think they're looking at this the wrong way. I think you have to create the environment, keeping in mind that you need to set aside 12 to $15 million for Matthews, but you have to create the environment where he just slides into a, a system or a situation that is already set up for success. If you're just going to go scorched earth at the end of two years and not accomplish anything, I mean, this puts a real huge focus on the next two seasons, but how can you take advantage of the next two seasons if you won't sign anyone to term? Good players want term. And if you refuse to do that, you limit yourself over these next two years and beyond that, all because you're worried about what what the situation might be with Austin Matthews in two seasons. I mean, Kyle Dubas was asked if he felt this was a doomsday clock after the latest disappointment in the playoffs. And the fact that they, he denied that, of course, he thought it was he scoffed at the question, thought it was ridiculous. But the way that they've went about their business this summer signifies that they are concerned about what's happening with Austin Matthews in two years. Not having a single contract beyond John Tavares, Mitch Marner, who only have one year after Matthews, by the way, and Morgan Riley signifies that they aren't leaving anything to chance and that keeping Matthews is more important than trying to win over the next two, three, four seasons. I don't think they're looking at things the right way. I think you have to try and set the environment like in Colorado, like in Tampa, rather than let Austin Matthews define the environment. Anyway, we'll leave it there. Full conversation over free agency with Julian McKenzie over the weekend. Then we're taking some time off. So tune in for the next episode. That's it for the Iowa Sports Hockey Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 